Good day. Welcome to another session of Cracking the Code. I'm Ryan Skinner. Today I have my good friend Dino with me. Welcome, Dino. Thank you. Thank you. Dino is also, uh, he was originally a willing participant, now he's almost unwilling, like a hostile, <laughs> like a hostile uh, witness. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Dino, I, I want to, you know, what we always do when we talk to people on this is people who had a life, fell on their face in some way and came back. And um, you came back in two ways. You came back in a way that you got sober and rebuilt your life, and then you got more of a spiritual connection, really rebuilt your life. Um, and then now you have like, you know, you do, you have a business on the side doing not. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I um, I found that I had I had a lot of free time at night, and I was really tired of uh, watching TV, and I really don't like to work out too much. Uh, and I had some injuries, I couldn't work out, so I ended up going on my phone and um, finding that Pinterest uh, app. So I started dabbling with uh, furniture, making furniture out of pallets, you know, reclaim wood, that kind of stuff. And then I just started branching off onto all different things, beach stone art, um, uh, painting on, uh, you know, the stones, painting on old windows, uh, again, with the furniture, you know, making furniture out of pallets. And I just started moving on and moving on and uh, eventually came to uh, painting on canvas. But I still do all the other kind of stuff. And I I was actually um, making stuff and giving it away. Uh, and, um, you know, somebody had suggested, you know, just going to a craft fair and trying to sell some of the stuff. And, I, you know, uh, so I, I, you know, started doing that. And um, and then it just, you know, it just developed into it. It was almost a joke. I was in work one time and, and one of the young kids there said, listen, why don't we just go on a, you know, go on something and we'll build you a, you know, make you a little business and a business card and it just kind of just took off like that and um, yeah it, it's been good you know I don't really don't do it for the money obviously I, I do it just to be creative um, you know and I've sold some stuff and I've had a couple of uh, custom pieces done for people's houses and uh, you know just had the t-shirts made and yeah I just you know I enjoy it I enjoy it keeps you out of trouble uh, it does. It does. And it keeps me away from the TV a lot. You know? Yeah. I, I find, you know, being in recovery, it feels like I either do two things. I work out to the point where my body's a mess or I sit on my ass enough that like, you know, I gain weight, I'm eating crap, I'm watching TV and I can tell you every word that's going to be said in the same thing because I've seen the rerun so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And I've done that, I, you know, again, obsessed over things. You know, I did the... Uh, you know, I did the working out thing to the point where, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I got bad hips now. I, I went from, uh, you know, come right off the couch and uh, uh, one of your other guests, Bob Balfour, is a, you know, triathlete. And I told him one time, I said, listen, I want to run the marathon and, uh, you know, help train me for the first one. So I ran the first one and then I took a year off. Then I ran it again. And in between, I ran, uh, you know, four or five half marathons and that kind of stuff. So, uh, but then I got you know, the injuries with the hips, I had to stop running. Uh, and I think that just, you know, it's my personality that I get uh, obsessed over things. Yeah, you had the, you had the motorcycle and you had a, yeah, dozen, had a, a yeah. dozen bicycles at one yeah, point. <laughs> sure, yeah. I've got a lot of uh, small obsessions, yeah. <laughs> I can relate. Mine are usually big obsessions and then oftentimes I'd fall off on them, but the things I fall through with, I just get obsessed to, you know, like the gates of hell. I'll just keep going and going and doing and doing. So let me go back on a little bit of like history on you. You drank, you know, you always say you didn't drink alcohol in the sense that 
you didn't lose all the outside stuff. The family didn't go, the, the, you know, you weren't drinking in the morning, you weren't drinking seven days a week. You weren't where I was with drugs, but you said that it was the same thing. Yeah, so uh, it's funny, I was at a meeting this morning, I tried to sneak in there and just sit in the background and they called me and uh, so I, you know, I spoke a little bit uh, there and yeah, I mean, my story is not one of uh, great tragedy physically or, or uh, paying the price with uh, arrests or, you know, DUIs or anything like that. I, um, you know, I, I drank to get rid of the fear and I had this, this unbelievable fear of confrontation, fear of people. And um, it was just very simple. When, the, when I found the drink, the drink took the fear away. And it's, that's pretty, that's Pretty much, it's that's the whole ball right there. Is that you know there was no, there was no great uh, tragedy that brought me into the halls. Uh, you know, in, in the first step, it says you know your life is uh, unmanageable, and that's what I found that my life was unmanageable. Not that I, the alcohol had me. Um, I just figured that people got these directions for life, and I didn't get them. And um, as I drank. I just felt, I fell deeper and deeper into this this fear thing. It, it, when I wasn't drinking, I was gripped by fear in all aspects of fear. You know, going to work, standing at the orange line in the morning. I used to work, uh, I was in a labor union for a lot of years, and I used to go on. Uh, you know, I used to be waiting for the train and just uh, just terrified, terrified. It's, you know? it's funny you say that. Yeah. You know, I, I remember my cousins, I grew up, we were very close to my cousins, and I would sit there and, watch especially as we got older they would be able to they, they were well adjusted for life they could go my younger cousin go out and tear it up on the weekends but go to school all week or go to work all week and seem to go home from work comfortably sit in his chair listen to irish music and he was just comfortable in his own skin and i used to think to myself like i used to find him almost strange he was and he was like my brother we were so close but he's like how is he so i was an anxious ball nurse when we were younger and when we got older when i found drugs and alcohol yeah, when I was drinking and I was drunk and I was fun and I was more laid back than him. But then between that last drug or alcohol to the next one, I was just like holding on for dear breath, just holding my breath. And I had to see what you're saying, like sitting on like the, the wherever it is, um, the dock down by waiting for where you're waiting for the train to come in. And just that feel. I mean, I, I don't have it from being at the train, but actually I do. When I was in a sober house and I'd be waiting to catch a train back to the sober house, I would just be so tense, like, what if I don't get back on time? What if, like, I don't pass the drug test? Meanwhile, I was sober as a judge. I was fine. It yeah. was just that constant feeling of, so you get sober. Yeah, so I, I uh, went to my dad, um, who was uh, in and out of AA for many, many years. Uh, and passed away, when he passed away, he was sober. I went to my dad, and I just said, uh, and who had never mentioned anything to, you know, you better watch your drinking or anything like that. Uh, and I said, I need some help. And... Um, went to, you know, I came to AA and um, I just found out that I wasn't the only one, which was a big, big relief for me. Uh, and when I came into AA, I'm the youngest of five, and uh, there were guys that were in the program that knew my older brother. And uh, they kind of took me under their wing and uh, I was very fortunate. I felt very good very early in AA. And um, my path of recovery took off. Uh, took off nicely. I mean, I got very involved. Um, I was uh, in the beginning. I was single, uh, but engaged to get married. I got. I, I was sober a year before I got married, um, 
in any way, you know, my life just turned around. Uh, I found that the fear was almost like the boogeyman. And um, again, I'm very successful. I was sober probably about uh, eight years, very involved. I had a sponsor who was a friend of my oldest brother's. And uh, after probably five or six years, he got cancer. And uh, you know, he probably fought it for a couple of years and then he died. And, and when he passed away, my recovery, the work in my recovery probably put it on the shelf. And um, it stayed level for a while, but then it slowly went downhill. And it went downhill for many, many years. Um, I had I didn't get another sponsor probably for 15 years. So and I think we can, anybody who's not in recovery or addiction, other aspects of life, it's all the same thing. But, you know, recovery is like anything. It's like a battery. You charge it up. You put the work in. You put the work in. You get a full charge like in your cell phone. Then, you know, I'm going to skip a day. I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to meditate today. And slowly it dwindles. Mm -hmm. And you don't notice it dwindles until your ass is on fire. And then you're like, shit, I'm, this, I'm in a lot of pain. And it can be anything. I mean, I you know people who have eating disorders, um, people who just don't work out. And then they wait a month or two months. And they're so far out of shape. They don't want to work out. And it's like anything. And and for me, it's everything. Anything I don't approach. If I don't work three days in a row, I don't want to work for five days. If I don't work out for three days in a row, I don't want to go back to the gym. Yeah. So you, you get to the point where, what was it, 20 years? Around 19, 20 years. Yeah, about 19, 20 years. Uh, it, you know, and I, when I do speak, I tell people, I, I, my story is one of, again, it's a little different. I, I never got away from AA. I was, I never got away from AA meetings, never. And the whole time that I've been here, I've never gotten away. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I just continued to go, but not open up. And people would say to me, you know, how you doing? And I would give the, you know, the, the, the blank answer, oh, everything's fine. You know, and um, I was a great AA person, but by now I was married. I had a couple of young children, and um, it was uh, it was not good at home. Um, you know, uh, I was very um, I was very angry, but stuffed it all, and um, and it went like that for many many years. Um, and I just figured, you know, that, well, this is it. I mean, I've gone to the meetings, I've read the book don't need a sponsor because I used to, my ego was very, very high and I would love to boast about how many years I was sober. By now I'm, you know, I'm 10 years sober, then I'm 12, then I'm 15 years sober and using that as a gauge. And, uh, you know, I mean, you probably heard it before. It's not the quantity of the years, it's the quality. And uh, that was not in my realm of thinking. I figured the longer you're sober, the better you should be. So I was afraid to tell anybody, you know, that what was going on inside me. And, um, you know, uh, there were incidents that, you know, that went on in my home uh, that I wouldn't share with people. And um, I would just stuff all that, uh, you know, and I had resentments from everybody from, you know, the guy driving the Orange Line train to the guy I work with who I thought that I was, you know, I'm working harder than he is. And, uh, and again, no sponsor, you know, nobody, uh, I wasn't reaching out to anybody. And, so no uh, sounding board, no feedback. No, none, none at all. And I just, uh, you know, grit my teeth and day at a time. And um, I just wasn't going to drink. I just wasn't going to drink. And um, and again, that went, that went on for, for a bunch of years. So um, I, it came to a point, um, my nephew had reached out to me who was struggling which kind of brought me back to almost like my roots back to this men's meeting at Club 24 in Malden. And um, when I went back there, 
um, I was in a ton of pain and I had, uh, it was an incident that happened at my house once again. And, uh, and once again, I, I ran to the club and, uh, for the first time in many years, somebody said, how you doing? And I said, not good. And that, um, I kind of just pushed me towards, uh, doing something. And what I did is I, is I found another sponsor, which I hadn't had in a long time. And um, my, my recovery changed right then and there because I was willing to do the work that was required. The work that I had done early on, you know, did it carry me all these years? I don't know. Grace of God is what probably carried me all these years. Um, so I really drove it. I dove into, into the program uh, more than I ever had. And... Um, Again, you know, my, my my recovery has never been better since then. Yeah, I never knew the old version of you. I've heard things, but I've never known. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen you just one of those guys. There's probably about four or five guys that consistently, hands are up. Hey, you know, if you want to stay sober, that's great. But if you're in pain, you want a different feeling, you want relief, you don't want to wake up every day. There's a way to do this. Let us show you. And and that's, that's what happened with me. I saw you outside of a meeting. I was in immense pain. You said to me, hey, I got a book for you. He got me his book. He said, you do anything in the morning? I said, well, I get up. I, you know, I'm not a good morning person. He said, well, you got to get up earlier. And then slowly that got easier. And then you'd say, you know, well, you do the work. You know, there's more to be had. And that's what I asked you. Hey, can we, can we do the work? And I had done it years ago when I first got sober. And, and that was a huge relief. But then I had done nothing. And I had gone through a lot of ups and downs in my life and a lot of setbacks. And, and I hadn't done any work. And then I just was sitting there hoping that some work I did 10 years ago would carry me through it. Yeah, and that's, I think a lot of people do that, myself included. Um, <clears throat> my new sponsor is always saying that, uh, you know, alcoholism demands treatment. You know, uh, again, the, you know, I think you get to a certain point where the drink is no longer my problem. It, the drink was never really my problem. It was my, my mental, emotional state, my spiritual state was, uh, it needed a ton of work. And it still needs work today. You know, this is a good, you know, it's about maintenance. Um, I, I'm not a guy that goes to uh, a ton of meetings. Um, I'm, a, I'm a guy that has balance now. Um, and meetings are great for, you know, camaraderie and, and, you know, connection and stuff like that. But I find for, for myself uh, is I have to be able to be by myself and be okay with that. And, and today I am. And for a lot of years I was not. You know, I could be by myself, but my, my, I couldn't shut my mind off, you know, about the future, about the past, uh, even the present. You know, I was wasting days. And um, after going through uh, the book with my sponsor, uh, seeing a therapist, um, you know, the reading, the writing, meditating, uh, praying, um, sponsoring guys. I sponsor, sponsor a few guys now and... Um, you know, I didn't think we, when, my, when my sponsor, when I finished doing the book work with my sponsor, he was saying, you know, now you got to go out and share this, you know, almost like it says in the book. In order to keep it, you got to give it away. Uh, but you deal with ego, you deal with fear, and, you know, those two things are, are the killers for people. Uh, and they were a killer for me. And when my sponsor said, you go, you know, you got to go out there and, and do this with somebody else right away, you know, the low self-esteem said, I can't do it the way that you do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, the fear was, uh, I, I just, I, I can't put it into words and I don't know how to do the step work with somebody or explain this to him. And he said, you, you, it'll, you'll figure it all out. You'll figure it all out. And that's been the case. I've gone 
you know, I've heard a couple of uh, fifth steps from guys and um, <clears throat> I don't know how it works, but it works. Again, my sobriety's never been better. You know, my, my, my home life with my wife is, is just, it's never been better. And it's all because of the work that I do in here and um, in helping others. Um, but, you know, I'm still an alcoholic. I'm still self-centered. I, you know, I'm still selfish. And those are the things that, for me, I have to be aware of. I, you know, um, there's a couple of guys that I sponsor. Uh, they're overcome with these things where they open the door and they let these certain aspects of their uh, disease in. And, uh, and I've been there, so I'm able to tell them to don't, you know, that's your disease. Do not open that door. Yeah. You know, you can look through the window of that door and see what it is. And if you crack that door and it gets in, it's not about drinking. It's about acting out in other ways. And um, again, been there, done that. And so today I just try to not open the door. You know, my sponsor always says sidestep the booby traps. And that's what I try to do every day, every day. And, it ta- you know, again, it's maintenance. It's maintenance. Yeah, it is. It's. I see it. I watch you. I watch the work that guys like you or Billy do the, the day in and day out. It's not just a, hey, I did it. I can sit back. It's, hey, I got to do it right. again and again and again. Right. In the book, it says we, you know, we're in trouble if we rest on our laurels. And uh, again, I've, I've done that. I've done that. It, it was horrendous. You know, I, I hope to never go back there. And I think that when I share at meetings, that's the point that I try to get across. This is no longer, you know, it says in the book that the bottles are about a symptom of underlying causes and that's exactly what it what it was for me there's a saying i heard a long time ago i'm not an alcoholic because i drank i drank because i'm an alcoholic that's yeah that's pretty good and yeah trust me it's not original i um (laughs) i heard that from somebody and i and i and then that in my case that that was that was it you know i had that you know i was born with that whatever you want to call it that kind of that's the way my mind worked in in order to stopped my mind from going there I picked up a drink and it was like <sighs> I could breathe yeah. again yeah but you know I was again I'm not a it wasn't a big um, physically addicted to the alcohol although I did you know set off the the compulsion with the drinking and, and the craving but it was when I was not drinking that I was so uptight so afraid yeah. of everything and everybody you know and I you know I, I, again I've I tried that geographical cure early on, and I joined the service. I was talking about this this morning. <laughs> I'm a guy that's f- afraid of people, and I, and I, you know, on a whim, I, two weeks, I said, I'm joining the service, and then I went down and saw the recruiter. And I, two weeks later, I was on a plane over to, Fl- you know, to Florida for, you know, for boot camp, and I got a fair of people. Next thing you know, I'm on an aircraft carrier with five thousand guys. Oh, and I got a fair of people. So in that kind of just. You know, what, I mean, what a huge mistake for, for a guy that has this kind of fear and has this disease. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was horrifying. Five thousand guys on one aircraft, Gary. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was horrible. But I, you know, I gravitated to the people that drank the way that I did. Uh, you know, uh, now, do you drink on the boat or no? Uh, it's it's not uh, something that happens a lot. You know, every thirty days, if you haven't hit a port, you they give you uh, they give you a couple of beers or something like that. Yeah, but you know the way the way my mind worked. When those days came, I drank my two beers, and the guys that had worked the night shift that was sleeping during the day drank theirs too. Exactly, I'd rattle them in their in their beds and say, "Listen, you know, let me have your ID card." Or I forget, it's been so long ago. I don't know how I got it, but I was a 
you know, I connived yeah. to get what I wanted. Yeah, you know? it's crazy, isn't it? It is. It, it was crazy. And by the time I got out of the service, you know, I was a full-blown. So, Dino, there's one thing, one addiction I didn't mention today so far, and that's uh, the addiction of hiking. I don't know who goes into the woods and hopes it works out all right, but either your father was a grizzly bear or some shit like that or something, something strange drew you to the woods. What is it? Uh, yeah, so I um, had this idea of uh, doing a bonding thing with my two sons, and uh, I talked to my sponsor about it, and he says, geez, I, I know this guy um, – who hired this main guide. The guy's name is uh, Tom Jamrog. Uh, so I was going to take my sons on this, you know, small little journey somewhere close by. And uh, so he says, uh, let me introduce you to this friend of mine. Uh, so we met it actually at Liberty Bell uh, for roast beef sandwiches and fried clams. And he says, um, he goes, I know this guy that lives up in uh, Lincolnville, Maine. He's a trained main guide. Uh, he's hiked the I think they call it a triple crown, uh, the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divine, and uh, I don't know one other trail. So I said, I said, yeah, let's put them in, you know, put put them in touch with us. And um, so you know what we did is we uh, we contacted this guy and through emails and talking back and forth, we booked this trip to um, it's called the Hundred Mile Wilderness. It's the most difficult place on the Appalachian Trail, which is you know two thousand miles. But it, the dip, most difficult part is up in uh, it's up in Maine, so we decided to take a four or five day trip, my two sons and myself and this main guide, and um, we were going to do fifty miles on this. Did your sons know exactly what they're signing up for? Honestly, uh, not really. Yes, not yeah, really. I but would imagine that. Doesn't yeah, it was a little bit, of, yeah, a little healthy. bit of a shocker. So we we, we uh, make all the arrangements. We we go up to this guy's house. He lives in Lincolnville, Maine. It's like a three hour ride there, and. Um, we stay overnight. Next morning, they check your pack. And it's not something where, you know, you got your flashlight and you go, okay. He goes, no, I need to see the flashlight. And then they go through your pack because you're carrying everything for the five days. There's yep. no, you know, there's no CVS or anything like that. It's going to be that. weight effective. Yeah. Right, it's going to be weight effective. So um, get in the car and um, drive another three miles. And um, we pull into um, Millinocken, which is a, used to be a mill town up in, you know, okay. again, up in, way up in Maine. And um, we approach this lake and there's a plane on the lake. And um, the guy says, okay, we, we're going to jump in the plane. That's kind of cool. Yeah, jump in the plane for a 10-minute ride. Uh, and then it drops us off. He spins the plane around and he backs up into the woods. There's about a 10-foot beach there. Now, there's a sign at the beginning of this, because people uh, hike north to south or south to north. Most people hike from south to north. And there's a sign at the beginning of this 100-mile wildernesses, and it warns you to have at least 10 days' worth of food because there's no help. If you get hurt, probably take two or three days to get to you and to get you out of there. So anyway, good to know. So the we, funny part is when you talk about this, like we went back for a honeymoon, we set it up and basically you set it up and your kids just had no idea. Well, they had, I mean, we had a small idea of, of it. We didn't know about elevations. We didn't know about um, so much the food intake or the uh, water situation because you have to purify your own your water. water yeah. yeah, you have to purify your own water. Um, and we actually did it and it was, uh, it was a heat wave, which we didn't plan for anyway. So we back up off the plane. Uh, as soon as you step into the woods, that's it. It's you're out there. There's no, you know, there's no getting, you got to walk out. And um, 
We, my sons, after two, two and a half days, uh, de they were dehydrated, cut, you know, they both got sick. Uh, it was, it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, there were highs and lows. Um, Tom Jamrock is a retired child psychologist uh, who does this full time now. And so when my sons were struggling, whether angry, emotional, he was there. That's cool. Uh, so they were almost fighting over spending time with him. So anyway, after two or three days, uh, they wanted out. So instead of pacing ourselves mileage wise, they were like, I'm done. I want to get out of here. So we banged out probably 13, 14 miles in one day in order to skip a day on the end. Uh, so, uh, but it was, a, it was a great experience for me as a father to have my two sons complete something like this. And um, very emotional at the end. I was crying, one, my, other, my other son was crying. Uh, the other one, he doesn't do much crying. So, <laughs> uh, But we completed that and then um, my youngest son and myself did another trip with this main guide which was a five-day uh, trip to Baxter State Park. Um, where in, So Mount Katahdin is, is the end of the Appalachian Trail. It's the highest peak in Maine. I think it's a, it's a little bit less than Mount Washington. Okay. So instead of hiking towards uh, the peak, we hiked away for four days. And, uh, we, we saw nobody. And I mean, we didn't see anybody. We saw moose, but that was about it. Oh. And then we came out, got some real food, went back in another gate, and then we hiked Katahdin in one day, up and down in one day. Okay. Uh, which was another great experience. Um, you know, I haven't really hiked since then because of my hip problem, but I, I would I'd just love to love to get back out there again. But it was, again, another gift of being sober. Uh, yeah, that's stuff you would never do uh, unless you're sober. No, absolutely not. Absolutely I, not. I had a great experience. I got to do something like that my my teens. Uh, I'm in eighth grade. We're camping in New Hampshire. We used to go camping. The neighbor says to my father, you know, I like to climb mountains and hike. This and that. Um, can I take Ryan for a weekend? My father says, yeah, sure. I'm okay. I'm like, how well do you know this guy? He sent me in the woods with him. My, but my father was, yeah. Back then, they didn't really think. So his name, this guy's name was Brad. I go into the woods with him. And a uh, great guy, great guy. Taught me everything about purifying the water. We're carrying everything on our backs. So we get to a point where we have to get from there to there, and it's just all rock. So I said, we're going to go down, we're going to go up. He goes, no, we're going across. I'm like, what do you mean we're going across? I mean, I'm, I'm a chicken wing at that age. I probably weigh 100 pounds. The back, pack weighs as much as me. He said, well, I'm going to throw this in. You know, put it through your belt. We're going to glide across all those. So I'm holding on to the rocks going across. Now, it probably wasn't this steep, but at the time it felt that steep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was probably like this, you know. Moral story, we get across. We get through it. I'm hating him at this point. So we come down a track, and we're on our last night, coming up to our last, last night to sleep over. And the family says, we come by his family and his two kids. The guy says to us, um, we just saw a black bear down there. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to see a black bear. So they said, if you see a bear, you go this way, you stay calm. So yeah, well, this guy's a cop, this guy, Brad. So I said, Brad, I'm not real worried. If, if cop, bear comes at us, shoot the thing, you know? I mean, let's hopefully it doesn't come to that. But if it does, you know, I'm probably, you know, I must keep growing up in the summer hole, you know? You shoot the gun, you know, like, That's the way half my childhood was with my uncle. So I mean, I just thought, you know, you're not going to sit there and dance with a bear. He goes, well, I didn't bring a gun. I brought mace. You brought mace to the woods? Like, why would you bring mace? We get through, we get back. And um, I do remember that that trip being like one of those things that you look at, you went in there, you, you cooked your food over the fire, you did the oatmeal in the morning with the water. You and yeah. 
so I can't imagine doing it with either my father or my my kids because that's a bond. I felt a bond. I still think of that guy and I smile. Yeah. I think of that guy. I'm like, here's this guy who took a kid in the woods who grew up more or less in the city and he and he showed him how to do these things and get away from them. there was no cell phones back then. And that's a that's a gift. And yeah. I, I mean I had heard you talk about I didn't know it was that intense. That's uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know why or how we ended up choosing that section uh, of the Appalachian Trail. Again, it, you know, it's one of the, they say one of the most difficult parts because there's no really uh, there's no outlet. It's usually what addicts, alcoholics do, though. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we don't take, we don't pick the brightest ideas. <laughs> I mean, I got to tell you, most of the situations in my life I put myself in haven't been the smartest. Yeah, ones, yeah, you know. Yeah, but it was again, it, it's something that they'll they'll never forget, and I know oh. that I'll never forget. And it's it was a huge a, accomplishment. Yeah, it was it was a great accomplishment for those two, and uh, you know, again, I'd love to be able to get back out there again. I'm, you know, I'm trying to research a, a, a flatter uh, part of the trail, but it's well, yeah, not, because of your hip. I mean, yeah, I, I got I some. Think bad. what a lot of people don't realize, he's had a few hip surgeries, a few hip replacements too. Two hip and replacements. And the last one, the bone splitting is just not doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And Again, it, that's a, you know, it's a, you know, coming off the couch and you know running the marathon a few times and. You know, probably not, again, not the brightest yeah. idea instead of, you know, starting with a 5K or something like that. Uh, yeah, why, bother, went to, why bother the kids? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was all ego-based again. Yeah, you know, of course Ego and fear. Yeah. Most of my stuff is either ego, fear, or insecurity. But exactly. Those three exactly. drive most of my natural instincts. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's a tremendous thing. And you can always find, uh, you know, there's so many tracks, the ways to go into the woods, the ways to go out. You could go a flat way in and just camp for a couple of Right. Months, so, like know? I was, say, was saying is, so there's a section on the Appalachian Trail. It's in something Pennsylvania. is supposed to be the flattest section. So maybe someday when I retire, I could uh, take a little trip out there supposed and to be go for a walk. One of my clients, when she was 40, took a leave of absence. She was a nurse. Took a leave of absence. She did the whole Appalachian trip. Yeah. And she's a rock star girl, Myra. She's just one of those strong individuals who, um, she's a really good person. And when she was telling me stories about it, I was like, wow, what was it like? She's like, Ryan, it was like the most freeing thing I've ever done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll see the people out there. It's just, uh, it's life-changing. Wow. Alky. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to run by with you. So the addiction to tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th back in the day, uh, you couldn't get uh, tattoos in, in uh, Massachusetts. So we would take a ride up to New Hampshire and, uh, you know, get the little small ones. And, um, yeah, and then, I, you know, I ended up, you know, I was making some good money. And, you know, I found a tattoo artist that I liked, uh, old school Japanese. And, uh, yeah. Got addicted to that. Yeah. Full sleeves, some chest pieces, some back pieces. That's one thing I've had to put a halt on. I Once I, I did a couple of things, then I did my full back with a big cross on my back. And then next thing I know, I'm like, I don't stop now. Oh, yeah. I always say if I can't cover it with a polo shirt and I can go to work, I should be getting it. Because I was a good friend of mine, Vin, got his whole sleeves done. And he works in a line of work where he has to wear a dress shirt now every day because he yeah. can't wear a polo shirt. Right. And um, I was like, oh, I don't want to be hostage to dress shirts every day. I think they're more. Uh, the tattoos are more acceptable. Well, they are far more. Acceptable, oh, yeah, far more acceptable. And um, in my industry, they're more acceptable now. But still, when people come in, when you manage people's money, they can be a little finicky. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I feel that rather yeah. than go because I don't have an off switch. So before you know, it, I'll have my face done. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they're so, more expensive now too. So that's another reason why. Now? Yeah. So the guy that has done mine over the over the years uh, did all my work it, uh, yeah he went up he didn't go up a little you know, he went up a lot was, really yeah he went from a $200 an hour to $300 an hour so I had to you know Jesus. I passed this whole tattoo thing off to my two sons so. are they into it now? yeah they are they are uh, they get yeah they get their own style and then you have the Harley 
yeah, then I got addicted to the Harleys for a while and became a biker for a while. And uh, yeah, that um, that got a little boring and it also got a little bit dangerous, I think. But the drivers, yeah, riding a motorcycle nowadays, yeah, people don't care. Their, yeah, they're on their phone. Yeah. and some people shouldn't have licenses. And yeah, so um, I wasn't really riding it, so I ended up selling it to a friend of mine. And yeah, um, guy I know. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I went through that phase, and uh, and now I think you know with my artwork, it's uh, it's a little bit, um, it's more relaxing. It's it's something that I this don't. This is have something to, you can share with other people too, which is cool. Because yeah. I mean, you showed me a couple of things you didn't mention, but you do like I've seen bottles. I don't know if they were wine bottles or what they were, but they were nicely decorated bottles. And yeah, recently you showed me a table that your friend's wife bought that you did that was big table. Yeah, so um, I. I don't go out and really pay for any of the materials. Uh, the table I got uh, was on the side of the road. Um, I took the table, stripped it all down, um, and then I just, you know, I, I painted the table black, and then I hand painted, uh, you know, I hand paint everything. There's no print or anything like that. Um, and yeah, and I brought it to, you know, I, I do a couple of craft fairs. I did a, a you know, a craft fair up in Topsfield that happens once a month, and, um, you know, I brought the table with me, hoping that somebody would buy it. I have a few cu few pieces of furniture, and uh, yeah, a friend of mine's wife came to came right at the very end. As soon as she saw the table, she said, "I'll take it." <laughs> and I said, "Beautiful." I said, "Beautiful." Sold. <laughs> One less thing I have to bring home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the glass, uh, the the glass is another thing. Um, you know, it's all. I, I'm a acrylic uh, guy, so uh, the glassware is painted, and then and then the, it's put in the oven and baked on, so that the glassware it's mostly uh, for like oils and salad dressings, and uh, you know you can put whatever you want in it, and uh, you know those are all. I do custom pieces there too. If somebody so wants, you can to actually use the the uh, thing, the bottles after you've painted. You people can use. Yeah. Them. So the, yeah. So the ink is is. I mean, the the paint it's painted and then it's baked in the oven. Okay. So that it doesn't come off. I mean, obviously, if you scrub it with a sponge, it's going to come off. But so I tell gonna, it, if they put something in, they use right. it for drinks or whatever. Yeah, they can use it again for just about anything. But That's it's, pretty it's cool. all hand washed. Yeah, you, you don't hand, if you don't hand wash it and you put it in the mic, you know, put it in the dishwasher or something like that. Yeah, it's, well, but it's all my wife's. It's all guaranteed. You know, I make mean, it fix it. I can fix it for you. <laughs> you know, the owner. <laughs> yeah. So what's the website that you have? Because people can go on if they wanted to buy. Yeah. Something. So it's it's, it's blue collar artworks. Um, I'm also on. Um, Facebook and I'm also working on a, a Instagram um, just to get uh, get my work out there a little bit and um, yeah I mean people can contact me like I said I did a couple of custom pieces uh, for a customer who they just had their bathroom done a woman that I know uh, or find found my stuff uh, she tried to go to like home goods or one of those stores and she couldn't find anything that she liked so she contacted me and I said you know, let me come by and see what the style is and see the bathroom. And it was very stripped down, uh, just black fixtures, white walls. Actually, it was an off-white, more of a cream-colored white. So I took the I took the paint that she used for the bathroom and I bought a couple of black canvases. And then I uh, painted some uh, artwork on there and just to give it a pop of color, we threw some some green and some yellow in there. And she, she liked it so much, I did a couple of pieces for her bedroom. No kidding. Yeah. yeah, I have no talent for art, so... Well, you don't. It's it's in there. It's it, in there. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, stuff down, there. way down there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's in there. There's a few other ways to get to then. Yeah, that's all right though. That's all right. I mean, that's that's what I did. I mean, I just started uh, again. I started with the with the furniture, and you know, you can learn anything on. 
YouTube now. You know what I mean? That's I, true. I, yeah. So, I mean, I practice, uh, you know, different brush strokes and different color techniques and um, it's all experimental. It's all That's experimental. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Keeps you busy, and it's you know, it, this making money is one thing, but it's not really about that. But it's no. you part of somebody's house after when you go home, with, you know what I mean? Yeah, they take the it hour is. home. It's something where there's always a story. Like, I would, I've been to people's houses, and when you said that, I thought of something. My mother had this thing, she bought some out fair, and it was a thing, it was a blue, like almost like a bottle. And she had like a metal cork in the top that had like a pour, but she used it to keep her washing detergent for the dishwashing stuff and for the, you know, for the sink. Yeah. Uh, for the dish detergent. And, um, but I still remember it and like the little thing pays out and she, don't wash, don't put the dishwasher. Yeah, don't put it in the dishwasher. Right. Like, I don't give yeah. a damn, you know, like it'll be fine. And then she was like, no, <laughs> yeah. And she got it from some art craft fair she had gone to. And, yeah. And, but it means a lot. It was part of her kitchen in her old house and her new house, you yeah. know? Um, so that stuff matters. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's technique, techniques that th this woman who I did the the piece for, I actually used a spatula to paint the flowers. Really? Yeah, you use a spatula. I've, I've done pieces where I've used a, a, a teaspoon just to make different, like the petals of the flowers. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. I just, it was something that I saw on Pinterest or something I saw, a technique I saw on pretty cool. YouTube. And uh, yeah, the woman loved them. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I'm going to tell you, Dino, um, you've been a big part of my life, my recovery. Um, I've seen the role you played in other guys. You put together a group of us to get coffee every Saturday morning. And um, yeah. and that group is really a huge part of most of our weeks. You know, yesterday I couldn't go. I had to see a client. But for the most part, I've been there most weeks. Usually not right when you stop, but usually at some point. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to have you in my life. You've had a huge impact on a lot of recovery people. And, and now doing a lot of the artwork. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the, the jitters uh, breakfast thing in, in Saturday mornings just uh, it just kind of took off. It, it, it just grew from, uh, you know, there's a couple of us meeting there before the meeting. And uh, it's really been a, it's, it's a joy to be there. I mean, we have some great laughs. We talk. <laughs> You know, we talk everything from, you know, sports to recovery. And I think that that's the, and it, 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 it's getting to know one another. Yeah. That is the biggest part of that. You know what I mean? And you can see where we're, when we go in week after week, as soon as one of us walks in, you know where the baseline is. Like, okay, he's having a bad week. Hey, what's up? You all right? Or, hey, he's having a good week. Um, like I walked in last week. I'm like, Paul, you, you look happy. Like, you know, and I can see right when I saw him. Or, you know, there are times where I've come in after a tough night of emotional stuff and people say, hi, oh, you all right? How you doing with this? You know? And that's the cool thing is people get to know you at a deeper level. Absolutely. Because you yeah. can't go through a meeting and fake it and just say, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing yeah. all right. Yeah. And you're not going to find this kind of stuff in the bar room. Uh, these, no. are, these are people, uh, you to me, me to you, and just these these groups of guys uh, that truly, truly care about one another. You know, they don't want, you know, they don't want anything okay. from you except for you to be okay. And, Isn't that and cool? It's Yeah. It, it's there's nowhere else you can get that. And there's, there's nowhere else that I know of that, that, that you can get that. I've never seen it anywhere else. Everywhere else it was, what can you do for me here? What's in it for me? Yeah. It's a gift. So, Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming, brother. No worries. Thank you.